DAs and anything else that we could detect, I'll say naturally. So we weren't challenging the animals. We were just trying to see what we could see if they had a natural case of a, of something, whatever that was. Um, those technologies that we, we utilize, some are still around and are, are pretty successful and some were not successful and have gone by the wayside. But the area of technologies is really, as you know, I'm, I'm sure you've had other people on talking about precision technologies is, is really, you know, an interesting area and related to animal welfare too. But most of my focus now is on evaluating welfare on farms. A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Ivonic Animal Nutrition. We are sciencing the global food challenge. Adiseo USA. Producers of SmartMIMM and MilkPay.com. Xzealot, A novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence. SmaxTech. Get insights from inside your cows with SmaxTech for higher herd health and profitability. R-Yeast 40. Ruminal and intestinal double modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. Your partner in improving animal performance, Berg & Schmidt. They provide high-quality, economical feed ingredients for ruminants, like their well-researched coated nutrients and fat powders that can support cows with additional available energy, which improves their overall health, productive performance, and your cost efficiency. Hello, and welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show. I'm Mark Thomas, and it's a pleasure today to have Amanda Stone with us uh, from Mississippi. And... Uh, Amanda joins us from SES Global. She's the Director of Dairy and Animal Welfare. Uh, we had some time to catch up just before uh, this podcast and uh, great to learn a bit about that, Amanda's background. So Amanda, welcome. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. Um, so as usual, uh, for my style, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of background? Uh, you're from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and, and uh, your master's and PhD from Kentucky. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did with your um, graduate studies and then uh, a former professor at Mississippi State. So that's really interesting and, and now in industry. So uh, quite a, a unique background. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Uh, yeah, y unique is probably a good way to describe it. I feel like I've gone a, a windy path to where I am right now. But um, I'm the director of Dairy and Animal Welfare at SCS Global Services. So it's a California company, but I work in Mississippi. Um, I was a professor at, um, well, an associate professor at Mississippi State University for seven years and left pretty soon after getting tenure. Um, so have been with SCS for about two months. Grew up in Pennsylvania, um, did my master's and PhD in Kentucky, and that the graduate work was mostly on using precision technologies to try to detect diseases. So we were looking, my main interest at least was in mastitis, but we were looking at ketosis and DAs and anything else that we could detect, I'll say naturally. So we weren't challenging the animals, we were just trying to see 
what we could see if they had a natural case of a of something, whatever that was. Um, those technologies that we we utilize some are still around and are are pretty successful, and some were not successful and have gone by the wayside. But the area of technologies is really, as you know, I'm I'm sure you've had other people on talking about precision technologies is is really you know, an interesting area and related to animal welfare too. But most of my focus now is on evaluating welfare on farms. So we go, we work with clients who are large companies who decide they want their own dairy standards and eventually may have other species involved too, since we're the dairy and animal welfare department. Um, And we work with them to decide what what do they want out of the producers that they're purchasing their milk from? And so it might be something similar to a program that's already in existence, or they might want to completely create their own system. Um, and in one of the cases that one of the clients that we're working with now is a really a, a pretty large company, and they are looking at different um different areas beyond just animal welfare also. So they're looking at the social um, pillar. So evaluating are, are the people taken care of, you know, are the employees safe? Are they, you know, paid what they should be paid and paid for overtime and have access to bathroom facilities and, and things that, you know, we kind of may roll our eyes at, like, of course, the people take care of their people, but it doesn't always work that way. So we're looking at that and then looking at also the environmental impact that dairy farms are having on our environment and looking at, you know, um, methane emissions and how can we make improvements on the farm to lower those emissions, basically. So, Emmanuel, you say it's really uh, setting the the overall culture for the the facility uh, for, from animal care to people care to, I often say, uh, you know, jokingly, but I, I think it does reflect the culture. If, if uh, a farm employee or, or owner manager walks past a piece of garbage on the, on the ground and doesn't pick it up, that tells me a lot about yes. the, uh-huh. the, you know, the, the, the culture. And, and so that's really interesting, especially as you bring in the um, employee aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, does that also include any employee education, employee training at, at Definitely. that level? So um, trainings are important, as you know, you're a veterinarian, right? So you know that employees have to learn what they're supposed to be doing. So training sure. and with the clients that we work with is a big part of, of what they are interested in learning. And, and, and part of it is a, a marketing perspective, right, that they can go to the consumers and say it is verified as whatever their certification or verification um, is. And so then consumers can feel confident purchasing that product, that it was third-party verified. We know that they're doing this set of standards and and doing them well with continuous improvement in in mind, of course, right? No farm is ever going to be perfect. Um, But then they can feel confident in buying that product. And you see those claims everywhere that you go to the grocery store, right? Between organic or non-GMO or lots of others out there. So Amanda, uh, in development of a more specific or customized program, can you comment a little bit, um, you know, not reinventing the wheel? Obviously, uh, there's probably some great benefits to step outside of some, uh, you know, canned program, if you will, especially if it's a unique uh a group or they're doing something a little different, you know, they, they want to offer a product that's maybe not organic, but, you know, natural, what have you. But 
uh, uh, maybe some of the pros and cons as you work through that, you know, a new client of uh, bringing in a program that already exists, about like the farm program or, or something like that, but then adding on to that or saying, hey, we're going to we're going to start from scratch and develop our own program. How do you how do you work through those uh, type uh, new client uh, opportunities? Sure. So so that's a hard question, right? Because there are there are options out there that are good programs. The farm program is a is a great program. Um, it's looking at welfare. There you can add on the environmental and the HR perspective of it. Um, and it's used by a lot of producers. And, and last time I talked to Farm a couple of weeks ago, I think they said 99% of, of um, dairies in the U.S. were utilizing the farm program. So there's there's not always sense in reinventing the wheel. However, if a, if a company wants to put a product claim on their milk or dairy product or whatever it is, then farm is not going to be that claim that they're putting on there, right? So they either have to take farm and then make it farm plus maybe or just cr- completely create a new program and and that's hard to to do because because the farm program has a lot of research and and data and you know educated people who helped create it and are running it so i don't think that there's ever going to be a program I, I probably shouldn't say ever but there's it reasonably probably not going to be a program that is completely so far different from farm or any other animal welfare program that's out there because they because they're all good right like they have good parts to them just like when you go to a farm they're they're doing really good things in some ways and then there's maybe some areas that we could improve upon and that's kind of what our clients might be looking to do okay excellent no i i, I like the uh, the aspect of some uh, customization and I, I guess where it maybe uh, hits home a little bit is I had the uh, great opportunity to, to uh, be in Europe uh, the past few weeks uh, at European Society uh, or Animal Science Association meeting in Lyon, France and, and that was really interesting from the standpoint of the welfare regulations and you know the one talk was uh, the, you know the cage age how long can we keep cats in, 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 in a cage right and and uh, you know, as we talk with our producers, uh, you know, we need to really be honest. To how long can we defend certain types of housing and mm-hmm. so forth that, especially in other countries now, are potentially outlawed. Mm-hmm. Um, but was, what was really interesting is um, when I was in Slovenia, a small farm uh, artesian cheese producer. I have a fridge full of some amazing Slovenian cheese, but um, there was a really unfortunate uh, barn fire of the neighbor. And his regulation for um, uh, organic is that the cows have to have so many months of pasture. And he has a mobile uh, parlor. Mm -hmm. So here this barn burnt. So he gave his uh, mobile parlor to the neighbor to milk his Mm -hmm. cows, but then had to barn up his cows, Mm -hmm. okay, during pasture season. Uh. So that created this whole, he's like, am I in violation of of this, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, of the regulation because my cows are now in the barn during the, you know, still summer months. But obviously anyone who is, you know, responsible animal welfare would say, no, give the parlor to mm-hmm. the uh, to the neighbor so that they could milk their cows. And it was just a, a really interesting conversation. And I, I challenged him a bit. I said, well, gee, you have this, you, you can't even meet your demand for your cheese. How important is organic? What if you had another mm-hmm. label for, for your product, and yes, we responsibly use 
antibiotics. We responsibly use certain treatments, but we're not organic, but come and visit us, see how we manage our animals and so forth. So I guess, uh, yeah, it seems like there could be lots of opportunities for some individual uh, programs that would support a product that already has a great name, mm-hmm. a great following of, of customers. Um, I think so. And I, I don't think any program is one size fits all right from a from a housing or dairy perspective or from a labeling perspective, because they're who, who he is selling to is going to be a different client base than what, you know, Kroger, who is selling milk and just with the Kroger label on it in a grocery store. Right. So it's it's different people looking for different things and there's not a right answer to what that marketing scheme should be in my opinion as long as everybody's taking care of their animals right and doing what they're supposed to be doing right by the land right by their people and right by their animals then most of most of the rest is just who do you want to sell to and what is important to that group of people is if it's organic or if it's that it's responsibly sourced in some other way you know it's it's what that client base is wanting. Yeah, that's that. That's uh, sounds like a great opportunity. Um, as you link your graduate work um, with some sensor technology uh, and welfare, you mentioned, um, are you starting to look at any uh, indexes of welfare based on uh, sensor technology? So, lying time or other other parameters. Uh, you know, respirations and, and heat stress is something that we look look at. Obviously, it's any dairy's goal to reduce that, but uh, uh, can you comment on, on that at sure. all? Sure. Yeah. So that's what, not related to my graduate work, but in my um, former position as an associate professor at Mississippi State, that's what a lot of my research work was trying to do. I had a, a teaching research and extension appointment, which was probably a part of why I got burnt out so quickly. (laughs) But my research perspective was using technologies to kind of monitor behavior and welfare of these animals. So we have a pasture-based, we had a pasture-based system at Mississippi State. It's it's still there. Um, And utilizing it to monitor behavior in these animals that are out on pasture was really interesting because when we look at the journal Dairy Science or any other dairy journal out there, most of what we're going to see published is in a freestall type facility, right? Which there is not saying anything wrong is with that, but the behavior is going to be different in a freestall than it is on pasture where they have to actively be grazing, right? So that was part of what we wanted to understand is what does that behavior actually look like, not just from a disease or welfare perspective, but just from a general perspective and relate that to heat stress. So I don't know if you've been in Mississippi, but you are in Mexico right now because it's hot, right? Um, So we had a really good opportunity to look at heat stress in Mississippi because it is hot all the time. Um, We also had a freestyle facility Um, available on the same site. So we could do some comparative work with the ability to cool the animals in the freestyle. But we also had a center pivot system um, to cool the animals and to water the the grass underneath of them um, on the pasture-based system. So looking at the differences in behavior between those two systems was really of interest to me just in general, because some people say, you know, going back to organic, that pasture-based 
raising of animals is the best. And some people say it doesn't matter, right? And and they do behave differently. Like we saw statistically significant differences in, in walking time and lying time, rumination time. We do see statistically significant differences in, in behavior on pasture-based systems compared to freestyle systems. But I mean, that's that's logical, right? Like it doesn't take a, it doesn't take a controlled research study to know animals are going to walk more when they're on pasture than they do in a freestyle facility. Um, but what was more interesting and from from my perspective was the the cleanliness of those animals was the um, somatic cell counts and looking at differences in um, disease incidence. So we were looking at the center pivot and, and Mr. type system to cool these animals, but we also created our own, what we called the Mississippi Mister um, for, for marketing <laughs> purposes, right? We're not trying to sell it or anything, um, but it was basically a, a portable center pivot. So it was a, a very PVC basic type system that just stood up and had little um, misters coming out of it that the cows could walk up to kind of like the, the old cow showers that were around okay. a while ago, right? But this was more of a, a, a mist um, than an actual shower. Um, and looking at, at those animals, we thought they would be a muddy disaster, right? Because it is already super rainy in Mississippi. And so we had, um, and this one particular study that I'm thinking of is we had a control group that did not have any heat abatement, which from a welfare perspective is not good, right? So they didn't have shade, they didn't have sprinklers, and they they had nothing other than drinkable water to cool themselves. They ended up creating massive mud pits. I mean, like it, it was, they were covered head to toe in mud, just trying to do something to alleviate cool, cool the, yeah, the, you know, the heat that they were, were, were dealing with. Then we had a group of shade animals and those shade animals went in the shade, but didn't seem to use it always logically, right? And like cows, we know cows are not logical, but watching them, because we were watching them constantly with our eyes and with the technologies and watching the the decisions, whether, you know, they were cognizant of the, the decision-making or, or it was just a natural behavior of it was, was interesting because it didn't seem like they were do they were using the shade to them their maximum potential so they were hotter than the sprinkler cows who would just go to these mississippi misters and get cooled off and then go out and graze some more so they had the the mister animals had higher walking times they had um better hygiene. They actually had lower somatic cell count in the few months that we did these studies. Um, They were cooler from a reticular rumen bolus standpoint, but they also were behaving as if they were cooler. So they were able to eat more. Body condition was was the same amongst all of them. Thankfully, we would have had to make some changes if we were starving anybody. Um, But they were probably able to produce to their potential of milk production as, as a grazing herd compared to the other animals who were just using all their energy to try to cool themselves. Okay. Now, did you compare that then to the freestyle cows or was, was that a different uh, so, trial? Yeah. So we, those cows, we didn't. We just had those three groups. We had the, the shade, the control, and the sprinklers. Um, the freestalls, 
are are hard from a statistical standpoint to compare to pasture, right? Because everything is just so different and it's it's not impossible by any means. I'm just not smart enough statistically to figure out how you can, how you can make it make it work so that they're on an even level playing field, if you will. So we did some work looking at, you know, um, just comparisons within the cow. So if a freestyle cow um, had a hundred steps per day, what was her difference when she was heat stressed compared to a pasture cow who had 200 steps per day? What was her difference? Right. Um, So we did some of that. I'm trying to think, I don't think any of that has been published as of yet. So I don't want to quote too much into it because it hasn't been peer reviewed. Um, But it, it was, it was hard because it's just, everything is so different and it's really, it's a, it's an ethical, it was an ethical struggle for, for me to, to turn off cooling systems completely for long periods of time. When we know that we have that capability, we know freestalls and, in most of the the world, right, have the ability to cool their animals. So if we know that they are working and we know that that is an option, to me, that wasn't the the more interesting question to answer as when I go to these farms that have pasture and they are not cooling their animals because they might have some shade trees, but, you know, the sun is moving so it's not always covering these animals and that that was the eye-opening experience for for me when I would go to these farms and 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 see these animals that they're just hot and they don't want to eat they don't want to do anything and then milk production of course is is terrible and you you have producers asking why are my cows not producing and I mean it's a it's a simple answer in saying it's a heat stress problem, but it's a really complicated answer. And then how do I fix it without building a freestyle barn? So the pasture aspect is, to me is what was interesting in my research. Oh, that's really interesting. Did have you or uh, through any of your uh, research, did you look at uh, calves at all and any uh, heat stress uh, aspects and or behavior of calves? So, um, no, but that's very important. And I'm, I'm grateful that people are looking at that because there is a lot of room for improvement in, in calf care related to heat stress, certainly. Yeah, certainly. I, I think right now I was out at uh, a dairy yesterday uh, here in Torreon, and I think we're just now seeing the cumulative effects of uh, calves with, uh, you know, agitated calves at, at birth, really, mm-hmm. and, and uh, high, resp- high respiration rates and um, you know, certainly it's not pneumonia. They're 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 hours old, mm-hmm. uh, but related, I think, to some of the cumulative you know, accumulation of heat stress in the in the dry cow, mm-hmm. uh, and and now seeing those effects. So again, uh, go back to one of the podcasts with Jeffrey mm-hmm. Dahl, uh, and then you know uh, the, all the research we you know, have in that area. Mm-hmm. Uh, his work is really interesting, and in, in his you know people who are taking on his work after after him too is i think it, it at least in my perspective was was eye opening when i would read his his publications because we often really just think about our lactating animals right and you know i tell producers all the time that they of course they're important that's where you are getting your money right this second but that's not really truly where all your money is coming from, right? And so, like, we have to think about not only dry cows, but 
calves and heifers and everything else that's on the farm that we we now know are affected by things like heat stress. But then it often puts it, you know, I, I start going down these these rabbit trails of what else is affecting these animals at, at this young age that, that we may not even be thinking about at this point, right? Like we're doing our best with, with welfare. We're trying to make sure that these animals are, are taken care of and find new ways to help them and make improvements. But what, what else are we missing that, you know, in 20 years or 50 years, heat stress maybe will be solved by then. And then what, then what welfare issue are we going to be really focusing on? I think it's a really really cool. I, I mean, that's just why I, I care about animals is why I, I love welfare, but also from a, from a research and an education standpoint, there's just so much about welfare that we are not cows, right? So what a lot of times when we anthropomorphize with them and say, well, well, we think they need this, right? Do they really need that? Or really, should we be focusing on something else? It's a, it's a hard question. No, that, that, that's great. And I think really, uh, you know, fits well into your role as you're trying to build programs that uh, have to make sense for the, the dairy uh, management economics. You know, we're, they're running a business. Uh, it's not a petting mm-hmm. zoo, if you will. And, but, but then satisfying consumer needs that um, are you know, folks that are disconnected from agriculture and probably in most aspects are very anthropomorphic, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they want to they see the, the, the happy cow and that happy cow may actually be the happiest in a free stall in the summer getting mm-hmm. cooled uh, on a sand bed or, or some, you know, some other bedding because that's the best mm-hmm. place. You know. Definitely. And I think that's where there's so much difficulty in creating welfare standards or, or following welfare standards because there's there's probably not a a perfect system i've i've never been to a farm that has done everything perfectly maybe there is one somewhere but i've never seen it and i i think we we try to create these systems and we have to create them that they that they don't matter what type of facility you have or what size herd you have and that's really hard because the welfare on a 100 cow tie stall barn and Eastern Pennsylvania may look different for what those cows need based on their facility and everything else that they have going on than a 10,000 cow dry lot area out in Texas, right? So we, we try to create systems that work for everyone, that everybody can participate in. And it's not, it's not easy because we sometimes then have to give some leniency to one one farmer that we are not giving to another farmer and those situations i feel like start to make producers not like those systems because their neighbor is doing this and it's okay because they have this situation but it's not okay when yeah, i'm yes. doing it that that doesn't make sense right but that's why we have to have people who understand animal behavior and animal welfare trying to manage these systems because you can't just have any sort of person out there looking at these cows and saying, oh, yeah, that's OK, because it follows this um, standard exactly as it's written. Maybe it's not OK in this situation or vice versa. Right. So like you have to know you have to know animals and you have to know producers to be able to really audit farms and to understand these evaluations. 
No, but I think that's a really important point that that really filters down to really all aspects, right? You know, policymakers or mm-hmm. or folks sometimes making uh, uh, regulations requirements who are very disconnected from from reality, and therefore, um, so you know, not, not applicable or, or not attainable. So I, th- I think that's great that uh, you know, as you're working with your company to formalize those opportunities. Um, not necessarily individualized completely, mm-hmm. but uh, ha- have some uh, flexibility, mm-hmm. perhaps in the in the, in the uh, requirements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, Amanda, uh, uh, really interesting. You know how uh, you, you've you brought together your 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 graduate work, your obviously time at Mississippi State, uh, working as faculty there, and, and, and research. I guess uh, you mentioned an extension part of your role when you were at Mississippi State, and obviously in your role today, you're probably really almost uh, you know ninety percent extension. I would imagine <laughs> you have lots of development and so mm-hmm. forth, but but you know you're you're delivering these programs to to the client. So um, you know through your your years of working with these producers, and it sounds like a, a range of producers. You know, a unique opportunity for pasture based versus other systems. You know, what, what, what are some of the characteristics that really stood out of those producers that um, recognize those issues on their own, if you will, and, and looked for a solution? You know, if that's looking to a, a company, an industry or the university or extension. OK, I, I know I have heat stress. Help me create a Mississippi mister or some, <laughs> some other system. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like this might be a cop out to basic answer, but I, I think the people who are successful at managing their, their dairies, not just from a welfare perspective, but, but really just in general are the ones who are open to outside voices, whether it's a company, whether it's their nutritionist or the veterinarian or extension specialist, like whoever it is, they don't have to follow everything these people are saying, but either realizing on their own that they have an area for improvement or somebody coming to the farm and saying, hey, you you have s- some things that you could work on here and them not being defensive in it, them actually saying, maybe we need to look at this, right? And hopefully they are, have records and they're using data that they can actually evaluate. Is this a real problem or is this just, you know, a, a blip in something that is happening that maybe we don't have a solution for, or maybe we do have a solution for. Um, but if they, if they are open to digging into it, that's really where those answers will come out. And, and oftentimes I see producers who we may be working on, on, on one thing and through that digging process is they actually find something maybe not even related at all to what we were looking at in the first place, but it solves another problem that they say, oh, wait a second, we've been spending money on on this and it's actually not even doing anything, you know, for milk production or, or whatever the situation is. So it's really, it's really just being willing to evaluate where you are. And that's important outside of the dairy industry too, right? For all of us, we need to be able to evaluate yes. ourselves and where we are in our jobs and in our lives. And and I think it's important to to run that through a dairy farm too. And, you know, you, you oftentimes will ask producers, and I'm sure you get this a lot too as a vet, that you say, well, well, why are you doing this? And oftentimes the answer is, 
well, that's just how we've always done it, right? Like, <laughs> like I don't know why we do this. And so somebody coming and asking those questions, of course, in a, in a nice way, a professional way, is important for somebody to, to think like, wait, maybe we shouldn't do that if there's not a reason for it. Or, you know, just because my grandpa did it doesn't actually mean a hundred years later that we should still be doing this. So that to me is what makes a kind of a good dairy producer, a great dairy producer is somebody who is willing to look at that. I heard two key words there, Amanda. I I really like your response. One is being open. Uh, Yes. You know, uh, give me more information. Tell me more. Don't have to do everything, but listen. And then, and then you said data, you know, so that, yeah, it's not that someone shows up selling some, product or fufu dust and they automatically, you know, feed it or apply it without data. Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, yeah, being open and data. And I, I think uh, I, I would, I would thoroughly agree with, with. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Diamond V because animal health deserves a healthier approach. DSM Ferminiche. Mycotoxins can threaten cattle performance. DSM Ferminiche offers a portfolio of solutions to help mitigate the impact of mycotoxins in your feed. Bergen Schmidt, your partner for improving animal performance. Fibro Animal Health Corporation. Healthy animals, healthy food, healthy world. I guess as we wrap up a few of the uh, dairy podcast show uh, questions, uh, one, the, the one you just answered, you know, what, what sets aside that, that excellent dairy producer, but uh, what are, what's a resource or some resources that you go to for dairy would recommend journal, website, some other resources that, that you know, you feel are really valuable um, to, to stick to in the dairy yeah, industry? Yeah, so there are several. I feel like we're in the, the age of almost sometimes too much information <laughs> having access to it. Um, so the Journal of Dairy Science is, of course, for research. That's where I'm always going to look first. Um, other journals, of course, have important studies in them also, but that's that, that's always my go-to. Hordes Dairymen and Progressive Dairymen are kind of my go-to magazines for, I don't actually get the hard print magazines, but <laughs> websites, magazines um, to for, for more um application of what is going on in the industry. And I think those are really useful, not just for producers. I know they're mostly targeted at producers, but important for people who work with producers too, to understand what their focus is on and what they're trying to learn and what they might have knowledge to based on those magazine articles and that type of stuff. So those are kind of my go-to dairy places. Great. I would agree that, uh, you know, the, the, the lay uh, press or lay literature is important because, you know, especially in my years of uh, more traditional work, it wasn't uncommon to, to show up and the, the, the horrors would be open on the bulk tank or something. And what do you think yeah. about this? And I, it was always my goal to try to read it before, um, you know, I got mm-hmm. to a dairy and they, you know, plenty of times they're like, I, I haven't seen that yet. Let me yes. read it. So. Yeah, you always look smarter if you, if they ask you that and you're like, oh yeah, I read that already. <laughs> I read that, yes. Um, and then you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, being open and, 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 you know, personal life and so forth. Um, so when you're, when you're not working or connected, you know, any uh, recent read or movie or anything that uh, uh, you'd like to share with the audience? So I feel like I'm really boring because when you told me you were going to ask this question, I'm trying to think like, when is the last time I watched a movie? 
<laughs> I can't actually think of one, but I'm two young kids. I'm an eight-year-old and a, a five-year-old. So we watch movies that are, I would say, not very inspirational. <laughs> watch kids' movies. And when I'm not with my kids, I'm working or doing dairy stuff. And I really enjoy in my my off time still doing dairy stuff because it's what, what I love. So that's in, in my free time is when I'm reading those dairy articles and that type of stuff, because that's not really part of my official job now that I'm not a professor and I'm not paid to just kind of think about stuff, right? So, <laughs> so yes. I do that now in my spare time. Well, with young children, I think that's a great response. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, Amanda, it's been a real pleasure to have you with us today on the Dairy Podcast Show. Um, I think some insightful conversation, especially as, you know, more and more programs like this, uh, I, I don't want to use the word regulation, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the public looking for that certification, that, su- that support of the, the products they use are um, from, from a good source. Um, and again, I think highlighting that there can be many aspects of that. It doesn't have to be certified organic or, or some label, but there could be some unique label um, that really uh, captures the, the culture of, of uh, not only a processing company or another company, but the, the uh, producers that, uh, that provide products for, for their uh, production. Yeah. So I, I think it's a really unique aspect. Yeah. And it's, it's important. It's, it's being looked at by people in grocery stores all of the time, right? When they're making their their food purchases, they're reading the labels to, to, to see what is going on and the, the culture. I like how you called it the culture of the farms, right? And that's kind of what these verifications or certifications are, are representing is what's important to the producer is also important to the consumer. So they're useful. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Amanda. Stay cool in, in yes. Mississippi <laughs> and uh, look forward to meeting you yes, someday. Yes, I appreciate you having me. Okay, take care. Uh, Thanks for all joining the uh, Dairy Podcast show, and we'll see you uh, and listen to you next time uh, on an upcoming episode. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.